my goodness, scorekeepers, we're back! Huzzah! Hooray! Yay! <laughs> time for another episode of the Score Minnesota Operas podcast, all about opera, classical music, and uh, pop culture, as seen through the eyes of three queer, black, opera administrators. As always, I am your boy. I'm the EDRI director here at Minnesota Opera. I'm Rocky Jones. Here with the fabulous VP of Impact, Lee Bynum. Hello, Lee. Bonjour. Ooh, en français today. Yeah, I thought I'd try something <laughs> international today. Felt okay. like a thing to do. Well, it is on theme for today's <laughs> for today's show, absolutely. And of course, we could never make it through a show without incredible doula activist abolitionist artist incredible person <laughs> in general iyabo inawale aka Reynolds. hello 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 ladies gentlemen and alien superstars yes. what mean? up though <laughs> <laughs> now Paige I don't want to alarm anyone but it is the best time of the mm-hmm. year and I just want to wish Ooh, all of the scorekeepers is. out there a very happy Sagittarius season. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's time to party. Adventures for everybody. Yes. Hopefully. Absolutely. Um, parties, fun times, uh, <laughs> philosophical discussions mm-hmm. about your favorite conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of laughs, not taking anything seriously and traveling. And, and if drinks. you want to start a fight, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we can finish it. That's fine. <laughs> but like, lots of starting fights. <laughs> no, finishing fights, not starting. <laughs> period. I'm just saying. Period. <laughs> period. Period. But no, let's let this be a time of peace and prosperity. And usually mm-hmm. this is the time that we take our Sagittarius season sabbatical. Um, but we decided we have just have too much flavor and content and excitement <laughs> for you all. Yeah. Lee, how do you feel about Sagittarius season and being here with your two favorite Sagittariuses other than, I guess, your parents or whatever? That's actually a, a <laughs> great segue. Um, yesterday was my parents' birthday, so I will... Wait, your parents wish... have the same birthday? Yes. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Six people in our house and only four birthdays because my sisters are twins. So, um, yeah, (laughs) when they met um, and they were they were young when they met. My mom was like 21. My dad was 22 about or maybe they were 20 and 21, something like that. Um, But they were my dad, like went over, was talking to my mom and who would become my godmother. And I don't even know how they got to this, but they came to in that very first conversation that they had the same birthday. And my mom didn't believe him. She thought he was, you know, uh, spitting some jive 1970s <laughs> line to her. And oh, yeah, <laughs> girl, I'm a Sagittarius that... too. <laughs> right, right. Finish your birthday. Finish your birthday. <laughs> so I love Sagittarius season. Were it not for Sagittarius season, I wouldn't be here. You two would be sitting talking to yourselves right now if you're working for it. So. 
<laughs> Another reason to love Sagittarius reason there is also go. the reason we have oh, Doctor Levine with us. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. See how much Sagittarians give to the world. It's such a You're beautiful welcome. thing. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that auspicious occasion, we have a very special show for you today. Um, we're gonna get right to it. Um, we're going to do a little something different. Um, so last oh. week, yes, yes. That's last nice. week, um, I had the privilege of being invited by the fine folks, um, at Renaissance Opera and Vancouver Opera, um, to be a part of their Indie Fest, um, which is a 10-day festival of performances and panels, um, all over the city of Vancouver. It was such a beautiful, wonderful experience. Um, if you have not been to Vancouver, I highly suggest um, you put it on your bucket list because it is one of the most beautiful places I have ever seen. Mm. Anything that beaches, forests, mountains, beautiful, just urban skyline, um, just a wealth of things to do. And if you're like me and you like apologizing unnecessarily for things, have I got a country for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, but everyone up there was just so dope. And I got the chance um, to sit down in the middle of this very busy festival um, with two incredible artists of color, um, Debbie Wong and Ashley Daniel Foote. Um, Debbie is the founding artistic director of Renaissance Opera, and she is incredible. Um, mm -hmm. So dope. Um, just that somebody that is just so smart that they just kind of leave you in awe. <laughs> and you're just like how do you do all of these things because she does a million things and she doesn't sleep and she's just changing the future of opera and it's just like oh <laughs> and then when you hear her talk about it it's just like oh duh. and then like I found out she was an Aries and I was like oh okay well there oh, you go. Okay. <laughs> and of course a Ashley Daniel Foote who is the senior manager of partnerships engagement and EDI at Vancouver Opera so he's got all of our jobs <laughs> um, <laughs> on, a, on a team of one <laughs> and but he's Ooh, also i know i can't even i was just like he was telling me about like everything that they they've got going on and we've got a team of 10 in the impact department so imagine like one person doing that i just <laughs> I was just in, I was just in awe of of him as well, and he was so cool and took time to throw me in his car and show me all the sights and you know just just a really stand up wonderful wonderful person who's also doing incredible work. So I'm really 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 excited for you all to hear this conversation and hear what's going on um, up in Canada. Um, spoiler alert: they've got a lot of the same issues. <laughs> <laughs> You don't say. <laughs> isn't that isn't that isn't that crazy? Fascinating. Fascinating. But um, but they're just two really, really cool people. And um, here's my conversation with uh Debbie Wong and Ashley Daniel Foote.
Alright, scorekeepers, welcome back to the show. I am so excited for my next two guests. I am here. Um, I've been invited to be a part of a panel here um, in uh, the land of the Humusquium, the Skahomish, and the Tsleil-Waitau. Am I saying that correctly? Tsleil-Waitau, yeah. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> also, also known colonially as Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, and the beautiful country of Canada. It is so beautiful here, y'all. If you have not been to Vancouver, <laughs> you need to come, not just for the natural beauty, but for the incredible art scene that is here. And I've been invited to be a part of a panel here at Indie Fest, which is being put on by Renaissance Opera and Vancouver Opera. And I've got two folks from both of those organizations here with me today. I have the incredible Debbie Wong, who is an incredible artist, singer, activist, founding creative director of Renaissance Opera, and Ashley Foote, who is the Senior Manager of Partnerships, Engagement, and EDI at Vancouver Opera. And thank you so much for having me, and I'm just so honored to be here and sharing space with both of you. Thanks for having us. It's so exciting Yay. to have you in our home city. Oh, Welcome, I, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so excited to, to get to talk to, to both of you today. Thank you so much for taking out some time. Um, but I would really love our audience to get to know both of you. So, um, Debbie, can you maybe just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, my name is Debbie Wong, and I'm the founding artistic director of Renaissance Opera uh, here in the in the lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples. Um, I started the company five years ago because uh, I was coming out of uh, my doctoral studies in classical voice, and I was really feeling like it was time to start trying to tell new stories, trying to explore new ways of creating opera for the 21st century, and um, Time to uh, time to trust my creative instincts more. So that's why I started my company. Nice. That's what I do now. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. And you were saying something the other day um, about um, your your new mantra. Oh, about yes, oh uh, yes, which my new. I just found so <laughs> awesome, and which I'm going to take with me. Yes. Um, but but about creating a, a space of. Like, are you creating a, a space of, of destruction or creation? Yeah, so my, my new, and everyone can uh, take this with them. My The question that I like to ask myself now when I'm creating space for other artists or when I'm entering into other spaces uh, is, um, is this a space in which I have to be destructive or is this a space in which I can be, can, uh, can be creative? And I'm really trying to focus now on those creative spaces and what I can put in place so that everyone can come with their fully empowered creative voices to tell new stories um, within the operatic and performing arts worlds. Ah, I love it. Yeah, let's build new stuff. Come yeah, on. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and Ashley, now I know I just said um, your title. <laughs> uh, you have all the jobs. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, master of none, I'm not sure, but <laughs> it's, it's lovely to be with you all today. Uh, yes, I'm Ashley Daniel Foyd, and I grew up uh, on Vancouver Island, which is near to where we are currently gathered, and uh, my training is, is 
in classical music as well. Mm-hmm. But quickly I realized that education was a, was a passion for me and I spent 16 years working in the education system and after that realized that the arts were calling me back and so here in Vancouver I've been blessed to, to collaborate both on civic and um, agency sides um, and building capacity is something that I'm really passionate about here at Vancouver Opera and collaborating across our entire sector is something that I think is so important and to do so in an authentic and meaningful way is something that we're humbly you know attempting to do at, at Vancouver Opera. Beautiful. I know what that's like. <laughs> can I can I say something quickly? Yeah, you you mentioned the word master of none, and it, it reminded me that when I was in school, um, and like becoming a classical singer, there was like such a like uh, such an emphasis on being perfect and like yeah. being a master of something, and you had to choose like you had to be specific about your voice type, about your repertoire, about everything that you did. And when I started creating my own works and started working on my own company, um, we kind of like ended up in the tech world a little bit. (laughs) And there's this role in the tech world called the generalist. And it's one of the most important jobs in like on a team. And it's that person that is the holder of many different knowledges and that, that becomes the glue for the team. Amazing. And now, and so I like, so it, it contradicts that idea of master of none oh, I love that. and flips it into a positive and actually is like a, like the most important part. So oh you goodness. are the person, you are the glue. Oh, you are the one that holds many knowledges. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> On a good day. Yeah. <laughs> I salute you, General Foot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm turning red. Hey. I'm turning red. Well, so I, one of the reasons that I'm so excited to be here is that I'm just so excited to share space. I'm here with two wonderful artists um, and administrators um, of the global majority. Yes. And so I think... <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It feels good. Isn't it amazing that we get <laughs> so to, to, to be here and do what we do yeah. um, day in and day out? But I'm curious, you know, as you all have, you know, started companies, built your career, you know, how has your racial identity, um, you know, shaped, shaped your path, shaped your journey? Yeah, I can hop in first, um, I, just because we're on a podcast too, for folks who are listening in, I'm a biracial uh, female identifying person, I'm half Chinese and half white, um, and uh, it, it's been an interesting, I yesterday on the panel I was talking about um, how I think I was around 14 years old when I realized I wasn't white, um, I had kind of been taught to not see my Chineseness and my not really like learn about my heritage or understand it um and uh as I went further and further into like the classical music world it it just became more and more obvious how uh underrepresented I was I was not seeing people who look like me um leading anything or singing lead roles or at the top of university structures or company structures and um without knowing it at the time it was just sort of like this really heavy weight and then we would go and learn about all these different works of art and these different operatic and vocal pieces and uh occasionally we'd come across asian characters and they're we all know how they're depicted yeah. in all sorts of uh, genres and and uh, it really like hit hard to think like oh this is the this is the path laid out for me really um and uh and so that's essentially it was actually like seeing Du Yun work um, the Chinese American composer where I realized like 
oh, I can come into my own. I can claim my voice. I can create works. I can I can be like Du Yun, <laughs> that I that I started to um, found Renaissance Opera. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you mind telling us a little bit about more about Renaissance opera? Yeah. Um, what, you know, it's the sort of guiding philosophy. Um, yeah. I mean, it's shifted over the years. It started very much, I wanted to reshape existing stories when I started the company. I wanted to go back into those Baroque works and redo the librettos and try something new. Um, But even trying to, you know, the the text is just one layer of a multi-connected storytelling piece that is all built under the frame in within the framework of white supremacy and so it became really clear after the first year of producing that if I wanted to carry out the vision that I had in my mind I had to create new works I had to connect with my communities and ask them to come together and collaborate and ask what they wanted to create Um, and so it, it was funny in the first few years of the company I was told all the time, that's not opera. Oh, that's not opera. What are you doing? Oh, that's definitely not opera. Um, And when you look at our products, like what we produce at Renaissance Opera, you'll see we have virtual reality video game. We have a podcast. We have staged works. We have some hip hop. Um, (laughs) It might just look like we're doing whatever we want. But when you look behind the scenes, um, it's always the same. It's about bringing together artists from different living experiences, from different artistic practices, and using opera as a collaborative tool to empower them to co-create genre-defying works. Um, And it's always our goal to put the artist first, like figure out what it is they need to come into an empowered space so that they can tell their best stories and bringing together artists that we think will just like, you know, light light up, (laughs) light up the room and create powerful storytelling. And so we've been really, really fortunate so far with that. Yeah, I mean... The, the first night I was here, um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to be able to come to the cabaret event um, at the Fox Theater. And it was incredible because what, what, what you're talking about, the, the radical collaboration. Mm-hmm. Because like, when, when you, you think about opera, like I don't, I don't think it's controversial to say that perhaps opera has a little bit of a reputational problem. And people tend to <laughs> think it's just, <laughs> you know, for, for old white rich people mm-hmm. who are fluent in Italian or whatnot, um, but to come and to see like drag performers and <laughs> dancers and you know spoken word and all of these people from all of these different um, different genres different mediums coming together to create something so epic like that's exactly what opera it, that's what opera is exactly and it's this radical reimagining of it but actually I want to pose the same question to you. I know we just had breakfast and like we spilled all the tea. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! But you know, growing up on on Victoria Victoria Island as a as a person of of color, and you know now being here, um, having this humongous title (laughs) at this at this major opera company. um, You know, what has has your path? What has your journey been like? I was I was raised by two very lovely British folks on Vancouver Island and quickly realized that my, my true background was of mixed heritage, with my father's side being uh, African-Canadian and my mother's side being French. And growing up in a predominantly white area, I also felt extremely 
I didn't realize it, but I felt like I was missing such a key key part of, of the culture that is me. And I was drawn to the music of Harry Burley and uh, Margaret Bond's arrangements of African-American spirituals. And in my first performances, that was the work that I would sing. And a lot of the audience would not realize my heritage and would, would accuse me of appropriating. And why are you singing this music? And it was through finding those stories and hearing the power of those songs that, that drew me to understand more deeply where, I, where I'm from and who I am. And so it was that voice and those voices that, that led me into being passionate about celebrating the voice in general and understanding the power of the human voice. And I feel like that's the strand that has brought me into the role that I do today, which is to amplify and explore the power of story across uh, sectors and across understandings. And to do that, I think, in, in ways I hope will be fascinating and responsible to the communities that, that we exist in and, and appreciating where we've come from and how hard we need to work to challenge the perceptions of where this sector is. And so I will always be looking to continue to excavate story through a variety of means. That's amazing. Wow. Love it. Yes. Sometimes it's, re it's really scary because our, our art form has such a history of, of erasure and that's something mm -hmm. that we talked about yesterday in a panel with with you rocky and we we did the panel in a, in a part of vancouver called hogan's alley or mm -hmm. otherwise known as black strathcona and about 50 years ago the city of vancouver built the viaduct which erased a whole community a vibrant community of, of black vancouverites who who were striving and living beautifully and i think there is you know that same story Phys phys physically translates to other places. You talked about the Rondo yeah. in St. Paul, and mm -hmm. there's certainly parts of, of all over. Park. Absolutely, where things well, have changed. I mean, the, the sad thing is that there are so many black communities mm -hmm. across America and Canada um, where that's that's the story. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. as, as soon as you all told me that you know the event would be taking place in, in Black Strathcona, I did a little research, and it's just it's shocking how how the story is so similar mm -hmm. to the story of Rondo in mm. St. Paul. Like, you know, just this eight-lane highway yeah. just Spoiled. bisected this thriving community and people lost their homes, people lost their businesses, their communities. Yeah. And it's just... Uh, yeah. well, Vancouver, you know, as, as most cities, we are at the intersection of many stories and cultures and identities. And one of the things that I think as you know as a responsible organization that i think is a civic practice we owe it to our audience to excavate and delve into understanding our responsibility in those stories and you know to that end the, res the relationship that we have with the three host nations the uh, the, the squamish the, the hamasquiam and slewatauk are are ones that we need to responsibly be part of because it's not, not our story to tell, but it's through listening and visiting with, with the matriarchs and listening to the knowledge keepers that we've already discovered so many things that are not part of the mainstream knowledge. And I think the stories of the fire of Vancouver and how, how the indigenous folks came and were part of rescuing many, many people is, is a story that needs to be part of the work that we create. And so I'm excited. Um, and hopeful that through you know work in partnerships with organizations like Renaissance, we'll be able to continue to to delve into that. You're bringing up a really good point, though, which um, it's it's that erasure erasure of history as well, and like the version of the versions yeah. of history that we tell by like the, that the dominant culture tells. 
Um, and in that happens, that's what happens in opera too. Like we tell the story about white male composers and their creative genius and, and this idea that the creative genius belongs to the individual. It doesn't belong to the collective. Um, and that's, uh, but you know, if you shift it and look at the, like at Renaissance, we're always saying like, what does opera look like if it were invented today? And we, we look at the history of opera through this lens of like, what were the innovations in storytelling that happened over many years? And that's what we're really interested in. And that's what opens up this art form to like, for us, it's our way of opening up the art form into something new. Um, yeah. So what do you think it is that keeps opera and classical music so... You know, especially when you think about like, you know, dance, theater, um, sort of a little bit behind the curve, perhaps, <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> progressive issues, because, you know, I think it's, it's so wild. You know, we, we were talking on this show um, a couple of weeks ago about, you know, um, well, actually, I don't think this is aired yet, but <laughs> <laughs> we will talk about it. Spoiler um, alert. In a, couple of, in a couple of weeks, but just the idea of, you know, there are all these companies that still want to program, you know, Madame Butterfly, Aida, um, you know, I'll throw us in there, Carmen, Pearl Fisher, perhaps. (laughs) And, you know, talking to, you know, other black Mm -hmm. folks and saying like, oh yeah, I work for for Minnesota Opera, you know, sometimes there there are big reactions because it's like, wait, don't they still do like black and yeah, oh, that sort oh, of thing. Oh, um, and so, like, sometimes it, it feels like, you know, not everywhere, obviously, but there is just sort of this desire to sort of hold on to this, mm-hmm. like, sort of very antiquated notion of what opera is. And, like, why do you think that is? And how do we, like, disrupt that? I know you all, you both have, have talked about that a bit already, but, like, what are some of the ways that you all are, are doing yeah. here in Vancouver? Well, I, I'll jump in first, because Debbie does this in spades, and yeah. <laughs> explain in a second, but um, one of the things we also talked about yesterday in the panel, and Morgan Page Melbourne, who's just incredible, and if you have a chance, mm. audience, to look up Morgan Page Melbourne, Absolutely. incredible, yes. talked about the responsibility we have to either not do these harmful works, or to immediately interrogate them over and over again, mm-hmm. and without... Um, holding back, and so in, we we just did the Pearl Fisher's Bizet's other opera in, in <laughs> Vancouver, and you know the work was was you know takes place ostensibly in Ceylon or what we know now know as Sri Lanka, and it, it was composed originally to be set in Mexico, but because the the French government had relations with Mexico, they quickly changed that at the last minute, and the story was transplanted without any thought into into Ceylon, and it's. Uh, you know, the first thing we needed to do was to go to the community and talk to Sri Lankans and historians about the true history of Sri Lanka. And we showed them the libretto and they were like, yeah, there's there's myriads and myriads of problems with this right from the beginning. And I said, okay, let's let's talk about them. Let's hear all about it. Let's share that story. And so we brought a historian from Dalhousie University who has written many books on the history of Sri Lanka and on uh, history of colonialism and deconstructing like white privilege and we we asked him to come and, and join us to give the pre-show chat um, before each opera and that was a powerful decision and it was one that I was a little bit concerned about how would our audience react to this unfettered view of the truth of how this work was created and the history that was completely erased and ignored and much to my surprise and happy surprise 
the audience was exceptionally receptive to that discussion and wanted to have, thirsting, I believe, to have real discussions about the problems within that libretto. And they were able to watch the opera and be like, hey, wait a second, this is not right. And that, to me, is like made the work much more transformative and much more like to keep that interrogation by no means did we, I think, do enough. I think we started a conversation and we started to have a, f a framework with which that we can continue to, to build on. But we also asked artists to respond artistically to the work by creating new work. And we had an incredible commission in which um, an actor and a singer collaborated and used some of the of Bizet's score, but then also added their own music and beats on top and then really went to town vocalizing their issues with, with the work. And it mm. became something very new and something very powerful. Mm. And we, we published essays and responses and videos. Um, and I think I'm really proud of the work that we did. And I, I hope that it had, had some impact on future programming ideas. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. The work, I think, is so important. And I, I'm so grateful for all of the voices that we were able to amplify. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, at, at Renaissance, it, you know, I, I started from this place of can I disrupt the actual works? Can I reframe them? Can I break apart the music and the text? And it just became such a difficult task and required so much labor on many different levels to actually do that, that it just made more sense to tell new stories. And the thing that I, that I kept coming back to as well is that when we, you know, vocal styles, um, the way we interact with music, these things change over time. And, you know, classical, what we think of in a stereotypical way of classical music, classical vocal music is so tied to... Um, is so tied to the 19th century. Yeah. Um, and uh, in terms of vocal production, like we, the way we train our singers today is from those 19th century philosophies. The way we dress on stage comes from the 19th century philosophies. Mm. If you look at photographs, like the early photographs of performances of whatever, looks the same now on a lot of our stages uh -huh. today. And so my question like, is always like, why are we trying to replicate the 19th yeah. century? Like. <laughs> Why? Why? I, I, certainly, I, I, I would. I would imagine I wouldn't have had a great. Yeah, I don't no, think I, so. I you know, I know. I hear this. I know what the Asians were like <laughs> supposed I, to be doing, yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like. <laughs> So, so I mean, that's the like that's the question that always comes back to me. It's like, why would we keep repeating those things over and over again when we live in these like vibrant communities? Mm -hmm. We have we we we're at a moment in time where you know, of course, like it's difficult when we're trying to understand everyone and we're living in cities where like you know that are getting bigger and bigger and, and higher and higher, where many cultures are literally stacked on top of each other. Um, but it's also this beautiful time where we have these opportunities to share stories, share art forms, and be together in shared space. Um, and so that's that question again, like, well, what does something like opera, which is a collaborative, multidisciplinary, innovative yeah. response to what can storytelling be, look like today in the 21st century? And I think, like, for us, that's the disruption. And I said yesterday on the panel, too, that, like, you know, our, our company title is Renaissance Opera, and I'm very aware that as soon as, like, a lot of the artists that I work with that come from outside of the Western European musical traditions see the word opera, it's a barrier. It's an immediate right. barrier. Yes. Um, and so I'm always like, should we get rid of that word? Should we keep that word? How do we do this? Um, but the fact that it stays in our title and that I like those are the spaces that we are in a lot of the time is helping us like transform the art form from the inside out in a little 
bit in a, in a way. And it's also like our way of saying like, this can exist alongside the other responses to what is opera today um, and can be a part of that fabric that we're all weaving together. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, you know, thinking about sort of this transformation, thinking about, you know, mm. what opera could be, you know, a, a young, you know, artist, a young singer, mm. a young librettist or director who wants to be a part of that, who wants to be a part of that disruption and change, um, the same way that you did, you know, starting Renaissance, what is, what is sort of the advice um, that you might give to them entering into this landscape in 2022? <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one too, right. <laughs> uh, because I think too, like when we go through our educational systems, especially for classical music, we're fed a narrative of what um, a, a successful career looks like. And I can genuinely say that that narrative that is given to us in schools, maybe it's different now, I was in school a long time ago, um, <laughs> but it doesn't exist. I mean, it, maybe it exists for very few people, um, but all of the people that I know now that are working in opera, classical music, have these really diverse careers, like diversified careers, where they're doing lots of different kinds of projects, lots of different kinds of art forms um, that all kind of like make these these beautiful artistic pathways that they've found. And I think there's like a fear that we have, or a, an idea that we have to prove ourselves to the power structures, prove ourselves to the big symphonies, the opera companies, the audition panels, we have to prove ourselves. Um, and we don't, yeah. we, we don't. We can make our own, and this is that like, do I have to be destructive or can I be creative? Mm -hmm. and, and, I'm, and am I empowered in this space? And I think like the moment I was able to figure out what being empowered and what being like what it meant to claim my own creative voice meant for me, I was able to just start running and and skipping and flying and doing all the things. And I and I think there's like uh, it it's hard to let go of what's been fed to us, but um, but there's so many opportunities to to kind of build your own career. It takes the same amount of work, I would say, um, but the the payoff or the rewards are so much greater, perhaps. But. I think that's absolutely spot on. And yeah. I think you, you have to look, and I'm sure it's the same case in, in Minnesota, but the number of, of, of small indie companies that are really doing innovative work is very exciting across the mm. sector in Canada. I'm thinking not just of Renaissance Opera, I'm thinking of uh, a group called Opera Queens in Toronto, which is yeah. um, two SLGBTQ um, um, stories in a really innovative way and in exploring the, the limits of, of, of digital and live work. And I think that's just so, so exciting. And so I think that if, if you're a young creator and wanting to, or any creator, wanting to start something new, I think this is a, an incredible opportunity for you to center your story in a way that's never really been possible before. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a hunger, even on the part of big companies like, like ours, to try and, and harness that energy and that excitement, I, I think, I hope. And I think another thing too is uh, I think um, a, a lot of artists or people think that you know there's a financial thing here as well. Like we all have to make money because capitalism and all the things. Because um, <laughs> you know we're here. Here we are. <laughs> That's a different topic. Um, but um, a lot of the indie companies that I know have similar mandates to us, which is that we pay union level wages no matter what. So if I can't afford to do the gigantic production that I want to do. Um, I don't do it because the artists are coming first and a lot of these equity seeking companies are the same way so it's not even you know like 
you might not be thinking that, oh, I will get paid the same wages working for Renaissance as Vancouver Opera, um, but you might. <laughs> and so there's, okay. it, it's interesting, like, yeah. And that's part of like the indie opera movement too and the equity seeking movement. It's that how do we treat artists better? And a lot of the companies are artist driven and so they really fully understand and know the the pain points that artists are facing today in their careers as well. So yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, artists first. Artists first. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So, Ashley, I'm curious, as another opera EDI professional, <laughs> you're here. You're here. <laughs> I'm curious, I, I just want to pick your brain just about your experiences. Is this, how did you, how did you get to this, this place where you are civic engagement, EDI, all of the things, <laughs> education. It wasn't all supposed to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> and and just sort of what has your experience over the like? Because I know you started during the pandemic, yeah. So you're still relatively new-ish yep. um, in this position. Um, but yeah, what is it like? Well, at first it was absolutely terrifying, and I remember I think my. <laughs> third or fourth day, I met Debbie Wong. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this day. Into a meeting and Debbie opened the spreadsheet, and it was Debbie's all her projects. And there was, I think there might have been like 30 or 40 projects. And I thought, well, what's going on here? Like, how how does this all work? And I and I was like, this this can't be possible that someone could do all of these things. And now, and now a year and a half later, I can very firmly say yes, that we do do all these things. And I can speak about most of these projects. Um, and the answer to your question, though, is that it's all about the folks that, I, that I've met, that have really excited me and made me feel that working in collaboration with with folks like Debbie um, and with Rebecca Haas who does my job at Pacific Opera in Victoria Mm -hmm. um, and the work that she's done on civic engagement has inspired me in a massive way Mm -hmm. to really think think beyond the bounds of maybe what I was originally hired for and Mm -hmm. to think you know I think big about what's possible for us and I think we can only do that by doing the partnerships that are in my title Mm -hmm. like it does it would fall flat if it was just us trying to do anything we run out of budget by the second quarter or something like that (laughs) But aside from, you know, a financial collaboration, it's also about the work, the doing the, the mental and emotional labor that's required when we can be in community together. That's that's how that has, has felt. And it's, you know, I'm also grateful for the incredible wealth of, of literature and resources. And, and also you, Rocky, when I when I first started, I reached out to you pretty quickly. And it's been incredible to, to be in community with you and to go to opera conference and meet the other EDI professionals. It can sometimes be a lonely road. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I think the work on that you that you do that you all do on the score is really powerful. And and if and if and if we just had time to listen every week, it would be so fantastic. <laughs> you know, I don't know I don't know how you do it, but um, it's it's through hearing everyone's voices. It's through seeing what other folks are doing across the sector. I I try to really get myself out to see as much as I can. And it's not, I don't just see what's on the stage. I, I'm looking when I go to an event at everything, at all the processes that are that are there. Mm-hmm. And I sponge it up and I think I, I think a lot about how we can absorb that. But then maybe I'll think of other projects and then I'll just get busier anyway. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're, you're bringing up something that I think is like um, so, inter- or what I've discovered is so interesting and so um, revealing and exciting, which is that process, the process, like the, the creating of the work and being in the room together with other folks 
um, is the work. Like it, that is like being able to collaborate and come together to tell a story, a unified mm-hmm. story, is like a huge, uh, huge undertaking. Um, and especially when you have folks from all different living experiences, and it's it's really um, exciting and it it allows us all, everyone who comes into a process, allows everyone to practice new ways of being in the world. Um, it becomes these, I don't like the word blueprints, um, but it becomes a, a like a test blueprint or it becomes something that, um, yeah, that, that practice space that we need to be good humans as well. Yeah. So there's like yeah. re- something really powerful there about, yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm curious, you know, if in your wildest dreams, and this is for both of you, what do you think that, you know, classical music organizations, like what are the changes that you would like to see? What are some of the ways in which organizations can support artists of color um, in their careers in a more robust way? I'm deciding how blunt I should be. Be blunt. I, blunt force. Oh, <laughs> Here it goes. Usually when I say that question, everyone in the room goes, oh, what's she going to say now? <laughs> everyone grabs the edge of the table. I, I want, I want People wince. No, no. I asked that question because I want habanero spicy, please. I, I mean, if I'm just being straight honest, the the if we look at company structures, if we look across the board, it is pretty it is predominantly white people who are in charge of making the decisions and when we talk about mass change like this and when we talk about things like racial equity when we talk about changing things up on any level it has to come from the top there's so much work and labor right now and it's inspiring and exciting and it's so great but there's so much labor being done by folks of color and those middle and bottom tiers and the tiers still exist and the holders of power at the top of the tiers have not changed um, maybe they've filled in those middle and lower tiers with more people of color and it's become diversified and we celebrate this. But until leadership changes, we cannot see those bigger picture changes that we are that I think we are all seeking out. And um, one of the things that I've come across a lot, and it's one of the arguments that I like it immediately like sets off my fiery side, is the the pipeline question. It's like, well, there's there, you know, the pipeline's not there. There's nobody there. There's there's no one to, to do these jobs. Um, and that, again, requires radical change, radical thinking. And um, that is in tandem with this idea that um, we can hire assistants or associates or these um, people to shadow um, shadow other leaders and whatnot. But my, my like, thinking around that is if we want to see changes in leadership, Let's let's find the people that have the potential, the right skills, the right ideas, put them in those leadership positions and build up the support underneath them. Let's build that that safety net. Let's build those mentorship teams, the things that those people would need so that if they come across something that they're not sure how to navigate, they know exactly where to go so that they can get the tools and skills. They have the right people to support them to be able to do it so that we can empower new leaders to lead with their own and have full agency to lead and to execute their visions for the future. I want to know what Rocky Jones' vision of the future is. I want to see you leading. I want to see Ashley leading. I want to see my colleagues across the amazing like Indigenous, Black, and racialized artists that I'm in community with. I want to see them have full agency to execute their their creative visions, not just for the stage, but for the world as well. Um, And they're not afforded those opportunities right now. You know, it, it reminds me of what we were talking 
about yesterday in the panel, like having an opportunity to succeed, to succeed mm-hmm. which is very important, mm-hmm. but also having that permission to, to fail and having that support yeah. underneath you to be able to try new things mm-hmm. and, and to figure it out. Figure it out. You know, and we often do not get that space. Exactly. You have to be perfect 100% out of the gate. It is. It is. And I think I think for me, just to add to that and just agree and thank you, I also envision the day when I see Debbie Wong at you know, atop one of our major companies. <laughs> I, I want to be yeah. in I feel it's coming sooner than you might all think. I want to be I want to be in room. All right, let's go build something. Come on, let's go. <laughs> no, but but I, I do want to say that I think it also these organizations are, are board driven, right? And so yep. um, it starts with board board development and it starts looking closely at, at who is being invited to the table and how and what can we do to support and welcome a, a far more diverse group to that table. And, you know, it's it, it's it's kind of the, the third rail in terms of a lot of this. And there's, there's so many expectations of fundraising goals and um, certain levels of you know, economic you know, attainment to join these rarefied tables. I think that needs to start changing, and that needs to start changing in ways that that the top executives are changing on those board tables as well too. And it requires commitment from existing boards. And I mean, I think th- those are those are tough words, but I think that's that's the first step. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, I want to change gears just a little bit because I know we've got limited time. Um, together because we're in the middle of a festival. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wanted to talk to you all a little bit about IndieFest. Unfortunately, um, by the time this airs, um, the festival will be over. But, of course, that means, you know, next year. (laughs) Yeah. Back, bigger, better, stronger, (laughs) all of those things. But I wanted to talk a little bit about IndieFest because I have had such a fabulous time <laughs> so far. I've been here for a few days. I've gotten to see a number of performances and such cool things that like are just totally outside of the box, totally <laughs> outside of like what you think of like when you think of conventional quote unquote opera <laughs> quote unquote. Um, <laughs> but you know, can you can you talk a little bit about you know what Indie Fest is um, and how it came about? Yeah, so when I um, when I was moving back to Vancouver, um, maybe about four years ago, um, I was really excited about the different indie companies that were on the West Coast. Um, in Toronto, there was a collective called um, Indie Opera Toronto, and it was really exciting to see how these companies were sharing resources, sharing ideas, um, so that they could you know grow faster and be able to create a really thriving like middle tier artistic scene. Um, and so I wanted to, to dig into that in Vancouver as well. Um, and so started connecting with different arts leaders that were running like mid to small size companies um, from all different sectors, theater, dance, um, interdisciplinary arts and opera. And, uh, and one of the things that I noticed is that these companies are constantly getting overshadowed by the bigger companies that can announce their seasons. Like, I still can't announce my season um, when big companies do it because I just don't know when my funding's coming in. I don't have the capacity and time, the size of staff. So these you know, mid to small size companies are getting overshadowed by big companies that can book their venues well in advance, announce their seasons well in advance, hire all their artists well in advance. Um, and also have a more resource to develop works faster than small and mid-sized companies can. And so we 
uh, with Joel Klein, um, we co-founded IndieFest as a way of shining a light on all of the incredible new works that independent artists and companies were doing in the city and on the West Coast. Um, and so it's now grown into this amazing like interdisciplinary festival that's like really about spotlighting and shining this like really bright light on these genre-defying works and the artists who are co-creating them. And um, another kind of piece to that is that we are showing works in all phases of development. It's not just about those fully polished, finished works. It's about like what we just talked about, this permission to try things out, have a platform to like see how something's working, ha permission to fail or permission to not have your best, best thing um, ready to go. Uh, and it's been a really great experience because then the audience gets to come along with us. They get to follow these artists on their personal artistic journeys and become co-creators with us like we opened the festival with this brand new work by Omari Newton and Amy Lee Lavoie called Inferno a hip-hop opera um, and it was so great to see like this beatboxer soul singer rap artists opera singers all coming together creating co-creating this work very first time like the first uh, scene was performed and then the audience just erupted with applause they were so excited and then they got to all tell us what they thought about the work and they told us what was so exciting and how they felt and everyone got more and more excited sharing their feedback and now everyone left the sold-out house left being like when's it coming back <laughs> so it's like this really exciting way of just bringing our audiences with us and also having these independent works um, showcased at all areas of development I mean, I there were a number of, of performances um, that I just I left and I was in awe. <laughs> I love <of>. that. <laughs> and, and there was there was one piece in particular. Um, oh gosh, I cannot remember. Andrew. Andrew Creighton. Andrew Creighton. Mm -hmm. yes. Creighton. And, right. and Christina Lau yeah. um, was accompanying him, and he was just these beautiful romantic you know, love poems, yeah. you know, and, and at the end he's talking about how black men need to be able mm. to have yeah. space and oh. time to, you know, really express mm -hmm. love, like true, romantic, sweet, <laughs> and, and, and it just, it got me right, <laughs> right? right in my heart, oh. and mm. then to find out that that was the first time you ever, ever, yeah. ever <laughs> performed exactly incredible. And I just, I went up to him after the show and I was just like, you have to keep doing this because people have to hear this. Yeah. People have to hear what you have to say and to be able to be a part of that. Yeah. Oh, it's was so, so happy. Yeah. That's just like, the, the, <laughs> like that co-creation piece. Yeah. Like that we're all in this space collaborating, going back to that sort of radical collaboration yes. thing that we've been talking about. I mean, it was just mm -hmm. so, so beautiful. And, and Ashley, do you... Maybe you want to talk a little bit about Vancouver Opera's well, um, participation and how I do, you all... I do. I mean, it's just, it's, it was beautiful to work with Debbie's team and Debbie, of course, on creating the Indie Opera Cabaret Night, which is a vision that Debbie and I had 
while back. Yeah. And we could just we just wanted to open the call out to as many artists who were interested to share their art. And, and uh, I think a lot of them were super surprised that an opera company was was calling in, right? And so, mm-hmm. and that we we engaged a, a, a Rebecca Haas, who I mentioned from Pacific Opera, joined us at the curation table, and, and also Debbie's incredible team, including Stephanie Wong, mm-hmm. who herself is just a brilliant and earth shaking creative force. Absolutely. Um, and we all worked together, and we we saw the submissions. And we were just blown away, and we just sat and thought, this will be an incredible night. We had no idea how it would turn out. Then to see it come to life. And it was entirely funded by, like, th- this particular part of it was funded by Vancouver Opera. And so I'm so grateful that we were able to use mm-hmm. some of our funds to, to, you know, fund first-time artists to mm-hmm. come into a space where they could be in community and create something magical. It was really, I think, one of my favorite nights of the year to see it all play out together. And I can't wait to see what we can come up with next. So um, the other the other thing we collaborated on together was the panel that, you're, that you were on yesterday. Oh, stop. Very <laughs> excited to be able to bring you to Vancouver to, to mm-hmm. learn from you to sharing your wisdom yeah. uh, along with Don Pemberton, wonderful Vancouver-based soul singer, mm-hmm. and uh, Morgan Page Melbourne, who we mentioned earlier, to really talk in a space, I think, of great safety about about all of these topics we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. So it was just a very special few days, and I can't wait to see what we can cook up next in the in the pot or the hopper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, it was, it was, well, first of all, it was such an honor. Um, to be here and to be a part of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for, for inviting me and, and showing me around your beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would love to. I would love Come to back. go back. No, I was talking to my husband last night. I was like, you would love it here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I really, really, yesterday during that panel, you talk about safety. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, mm-hmm. it really felt like such like a safe Mm. Just yep. really, yeah. just really beautiful space um, to be able to just just be real. Yeah. <laughs> to be optimistic, certainly, but to be real yeah, <laughs> about yeah. what's what's happening here, and the fact that you know there is such a vibrant, um, excited, committed arts community here in mm-hmm. Vancouver is just so. I don't know. I just I felt the love. <laughs> oh, good. I felt the love Yay. that you all have for the city and for, for what you all do. And it was it was a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful experience. You know, there was a moment yesterday that I thought was really special, and that's when we all sang together. And I thought, yes. well, maybe right now on this podcast, we could all just sing a note and just experience that note together. So oh, if, I, okay. if I start singing, you know, you can harmonize with me or sing the same one, and we could just, you could have that moment. Imagine a whole room after such a powerful talk having this moment to sort of <laughs> connect yeah. in song. So. I'll, sure. I'll just, we'll just see what happens. There we go. <laughs> Um, 
And what's next for, for Renaissance Opera? What's coming up? Where can people follow you? Yeah, follow us on our Instagram, which is at opera underscore reborn, um, or check out our website, reopera, reopera.com. Um, and uh, we start up with our uh, co-creation with Early Music Vancouver, a project called The Queen of Carthage, where we've commissioned a bunch of BIPOC um, artists to create new works around the story of Dido. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're at VancouverOpera.ca and on Instagram, Facebook, at Vancouver Opera. We're excited to bring Benjamin Britten's Midsummer Night's Dream to the main stage in February, and our season will conclude with Richard Wagner's The Flying Dutch We'll also be having a lot of really exciting ancillary events and programming surrounding all of that, including our Composer History Project, a podcast series that looks into the lives of the composers of our main stage through maybe a different kind of a lens. So check out our website for for all of those details. Nice. So all of that will be in the show notes. So... You, you didn't have to memorize that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and thank you, thank you both so thank much. You. This has been a wonderful conversation. And we will be right back, everybody. Yay! Yay! Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. and we are back uh, just one more time just wanted to thank Debbie and Ashley for taking time out of their very very busy schedule um, to be with us and if you heard some ambient noise some cars and people talking and people singing well we were in the middle of a festival so, <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of had to find a quiet place to, to, to be but you know we made do and made it work and I hope you enjoyed that conversation but enough of that um it is time for our favorite part of the show are you ready Iawo? ready ready all right and a one and a two and a one two three four Yes, it is time for Pure Black Joy. It is the segment where we talk about the Black people, places, things, ideas, foods, clothes, musics um, that are making us happy this week. So who wants to go first? I will gladly go first because, um, first of all, Wakanda forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to see that film. I'm trying not to, I I feel like y'all have had time to see it at this point. But I'm gonna be gracious, not give <laughs> <laughs> and not give spoilers. But it was just absolutely beautiful and brought me so much joy. I need to see it a second and third time in theaters. Um, just wow. First of all, I'm already boohooing at the beginning because of just the tribute to Chadwick Boseman, the T'Challa. Um, 
and felt very personally just affected by his legacy and the fact that the place that I went to school is now called the Chadwick A. Bozeman College of Fine mm -hmm. Arts mm -hmm. at Howard University. Um, and specifically the college, he fought for it to be a college again and not just a division of a college. So I just felt really emotional with all of that. And I appreciated the the true, um, I, I, I feel like they honored him and understood the gravity of the loss, you know, or they, they, they understood the impact. Uh, I feel like they just honored, they, they took a moment to honor him at the beginning, at the end, and throughout that it just in a way felt really, um, felt really beautiful. And there were just so many other good things about that. <laughs> okay, actually, really my pure black joy part of it, there is one part of it that I'm gonna spoil. There is one part of it, because if you don't know this part yet, like you really, I'm sorry, but I was really excited about, um, the way they just black and brown people from all over were in Wakanda and working together and shout out to the Riri Williams. Yeah. One of my favorite MCU characters. She is so dope. If you are not familiar with Riri Williams, AKA Ironheart, she is like, uh, think like smarter than Tony Stark. I was going to say like, she's like, young black Tony Stark, but like she's smarter than Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because she, I, I'm, I'm not gonna tell you, I'm not gonna tell you what she did, but she's she's so freaking smart that like the CIA <laughs> is after her. That That's how smart she is, okay? Um, and that she is just, come on black girls in tech like yes. come on <laughs> she, she builds this stuff she's not like a mutant or something it is like it is her brain power that like makes her a superhero and i was so excited to see her introduced in this movie i was so excited that it was like a newcomer kind of actress who gets to step into this role and like be part of the mcu now it's not somebody that we already know um so like joy like oh my god when i think about that we're gonna get more riri williams in the upcoming movies oh yes. my god look at you yes. this is the purest blackest joy <laughs> it was awesome so go go see it y'all if you haven't yet and it if you have go see it again yep amen <laughs> <laughs> and i also have a, a little bit of Black woman magic to share myself. One of my favorite singers from um, back in the day, and if you are an old millennial or young generation Xer, this may mean something special to you. Um, Brandy Rayana Norwood, known mm -hmm. anonymously as Brandy, mm -hmm. often called the vocal Bible for fair, good, and accurate reasons, is reason <laughs> her legendary iconic turn as Cinderella again for Disney really? in a new, yes, a new version of The Descendants where she is coming what? back and is going to focus on her daughter. And she is, you know, grown up Cinderella. I'm assuming Paolo Montalban will be back as the prince. And they are now raising a young daughter. And yeah. um, 
Impossible. Yeah, I am super <laughs> excited that Disney decided to bless me after 25 years of making <laughs> me wait for this. So and making her part of this little descendant right? franchise. Right. Which little black girls are already super very into. well represented in this. <laughs> yes. They love yes. that stuff. Yeah. I'm gay. Oh. Oh, this is cute. I love this. Thank you, Lee. Yes. yes. <laughs> so super excited about this. Um, we will let y'all know when there is a premiere date announced, but it will be on Disney Plus. Um, and I think it'll be worth checking out. So super excited about that. That's Yay. exciting. That's dope. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> That's well, crazy. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, my pure black joy is purely selfish. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just that in a couple days, Paige and I will be turning when you're older. And how exciting is that? <laughs> our birthdays this is are very not very exciting. It's not our birthdays are not on the same day, like the Bynums, but they're very close <laughs> to each other. <laughs> and I'm just ready to celebrate. Shoot, we're at a lockdown. Time to go eat some good food, see some, mm -hmm. some dope people feel that love, that energy, and spread that yeah. love out, and I'm just excited. It's my birthday. Me too. What are you planning to do? What are you, you planning to be out in these streets? I plan yes. to be out in these streets a little yes. bit. I plan to be out here. Actually, for once, I am planning to be out in these streets because my birthday is <laughs> <a> Friday. <laughs> yes. I, oh, I love that. We both, that's right. Both of ours are on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Turn up. Yes, it's turn time to up. turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, <laughs> and maybe we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> if I'm not still hungover. <laughs> so well, happy that... birthday to oh, both of y'all, and also to Chadwick Boseman, who would be 46 next week. So since we have evoked mm -hmm. his name, I think we should also share some of our love for Sagittarians with the late great Mr. Boswick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I didn't know his birthday was also close to ours. Okay. Good company. Very mm -hmm. good company. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think we're going to leave it there. It's time to go celebrate, go eat some cake, <laughs> drink some wine. <laughs> yep. And uh, you all know what to do. Like, subscribe, write a review, please. Five stars. Share five. us with your friend. Five Cinco. Five. It's my birthday. Give me my stars. <laughs> 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 and um, we will be back in two weeks with um the fabulous Robert Mack, um, who co-founded Opera Noir. It's gonna be a fabulous show. And just real quick, just want to once again just thank all of the fine folks up in Vancouver. Debbie, Ashley, Kazimi, uh, Christina, Ray, Stephanie, all the people who made my stay um, such a wonderful, wonderful experience. And um, I think that's it. Any words of wisdom? No? Oh, just straight up, just no. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I got, I got one. I got 
okay. one. I got one because it is um, Indigenous Peoples Day or Native. No, it is specifically Native American Heritage Day. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we are recording this on the 25th. If you do not know whose land you are on, and we're just coming off of Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. and if you, mm -hmm. how about that? If you don't know the problematic history of that, I know we got listeners from all over. Mm -hmm. Do a little research um, from people who are actually indigenous to Turtle Island telling it how it happened to them. And you can go to Native Land, I think that's CA, to find out where, whose land you're on also. So how about that? That that's the that's the wisdom I can leave with you. There you yeah. go. You said know those things. And of course we should shout out and we should be shouting out every episode that we are currently on the land of the Dakota. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That is a very good word of wisdom. Download native land. <laughs> One thousand percent. And with that, we will see you in two weeks, everybody. Happy birthday, Bye. Paige. Happy birthday, Rocky. <laughs> 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 All right.